Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. What is this all about? What's the big deal? And so uh, this morning we're going to continue talking about the significance and the real reason that we celebrate Christmas. Why does it matter so much that Jesus came into the world? And last week we talked about how Jesus is our Savior. We talked about sin. We talked about the breadth and the depth of sin and how it's fractured our world. And, and how we, we don't need to shy away from conversations about sin because the whole point is when we bring this stuff out into the light, we can get free. We can receive Jesus as our Savior, right? And, 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 we, and we can get free from living, as the scriptures say, we were part of the kingdom of darkness. And, and when Jesus, we, be, we become uh, followers of Jesus and say yes to Jesus, it says we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And, and so that is what be, being saved is all about. And so we're going to continue talking about another aspect of why Jesus came this morning, and to do that, I, I just want to kind of frame uh, a con our conversation this morning this way as we continue thinking about this. Um, how many of you love HGTV? Okay, a, a few of you. Guys, you don't have to lie. I love HGTV. I know you watch HGTV. Anyone love like House Hunters? House Hunters International for me, that's, that's where it's at. I love to see the homes that I will never live in. Um, but the, I, can, I can dream about it. It's awesome. Uh, but the renovation shows are really what make HGTV, right? Lindsay's over there. Like, I, I live for HGTV. I, I know it. Uh, the, I think this is off HGTV now, but right, Fixer Upper was the big one, right? Uh, it's gotten so big, they have like their own network now, right? Um, uh, Property Brothers is another one. If you watch Property Brothers, love it or list it. I've seen that one a few times. Uh, and I love seeing the before and after renovations of their, their spaces in their home. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're almost like, is that even the same place sometimes? You know what I'm talking about? So I have a few of these. This is from HGTV's website. This is their top 25 before and afters. This is the before of this kitchen. Let's see the after. It doesn't even look like the same place. I, on this one, I was going back and forth for like five minutes. Like, is that really it? Go back one more time. Can you go back to the pre Look at that before. Go, go. Yeah, it doesn't even look like the same place. I almost don't believe it. Go to the next one here. Let's see this before. This is terrifying. This is a bedroom, a bedroom renovation. I, wait, what's written on the wall there? Go back. It says we, I don't even, maybe we shouldn't read that. I don't know what it says. Uh, go to the next one. Go to the next one. What's it? Look at this bedroom transformation. Isn't that amazing? Who's ready for like a weekend getaway there or you just want to live there now? You're like never going to come out of that room. It's just so nice. How about this next one? This one was my favorite. Uh, it's like it's just a simple kind of like four-season room with a wood stove. Go to the after. Look at that transformation. Kind of simple, a little understated, but those leather couches are calling my name. I just want to sit there, read a book, just enjoy the day, light that fire. It's perfect. I love these before and after transformations, but maybe you already know this about all these renovation shows on HGTV, um, but they're completely fake. Did you know that? 
And they're very open about this. You can read about it right on their own website about how this all works. Uh, I think because they started to get sued. And so they had to just like, hey, like this is just for fun. Uh, so the renovations are totally real. Generally, like on Fixer Upper, you would have to pay all the money for your own renovation. So there's like a budget, I think. I don't remember that show too well. Lindsay, you're, you're like, yep, that's how it works. So he gave the whole script of how these shows work. Episode four, season two. Uh, so, so you'd have like a budget. You'd have to supply the money for the renovation yourself. They do this incredible renovation. They do all this stuff. And then they bring in the furniture, the decorations. And you're like, I am ready for that bedroom to be my bedroom. That's gonna be my like reading room. That's gonna be my kitchen. I'm ready, right? You, you love the transformation. But guess what? When they're all done uh, taking the, the video footage and the family comes in and they're all excited and they see and they're sitting on the couches and they do it. They take all of the furniture and the decorations and leave you with an empty shelf. And I'm not even kidding, it's real. I know, I just ruined someone's day. I'm so sorry. They take it all away and you're just left with this empty shelf. And then all of the rooms that they didn't show you in the renovation, you know what they were doing with those? They were stuffing all of the production equipment and all of your furniture. It's like stuffed in those rooms. I know, I'm sorry. I've ruined HGTV for you all. Uh, but but you're, they're doing this whole thing and, and they take all of the furniture away. They take it away and you're just left with that empty shell. Are you as disappointed as I am right now? I'm never watching HGTV again, right? Well, probably not. That's not true. I'll have it on later today. Uh, but these, imagine having this incredible space renovation done. Imagine having this amazing home and it's the best designers in, in the in business have just put these couches in the perfect rug and the perfect plant in the corner and this decor, this painting's perfect. I love it. Oh, I want to keep it. Nope, we're going to take it all out and move it on to the next place. How terrible is that? We don't just want the work done on the house, do we? We want all of that amazing design work on the inside, right? We, we don't just want uh, the work done on the house. We want all of the couches and the beds and the stoves and, the, and all of those things too. We don't just want the new space. We want the life, the new life that's being envisioned in that space. And so as we are continuing this series today, I want to bring it kind of back into the spiritual world, into our walk with Jesus and say this, we, we have this sense of longing for something to fill the space that isn't just for home improvement shows. You see, when we have this sense of longing for, for something to be filled in our lives, and this is a great example of what we want to experience or what we, we're called and created to experience in our walk with Jesus. Last week we talked, as I said, about Jesus as our Savior, that when Jesus becomes your Savior, he renovates your heart. There, there is a, a, a regeneration that happens through the Holy Spirit when you say yes to Jesus, when you are saved, and the house of your soul is renovated. But Jesus does not only renovate the space, he wants to fill the space with life. And that filling of the space is what we call sanctification. Jesus is not only our savior, he is our sanctifier. But how often have you experienced a sense of being saved and also then feeling stuck? You know what I'm talking about. 
You're, you're saved. I've got this new life. Everyone's telling me I've got this new life. I even got baptized. And then it's like, did anything happen? Have I, has anything changed? You know what I mean? I was saved when I was a boy. I grew up in the church and I, I gave my life to Jesus. I said yes to him. I was baptized and nothing really changed. Even all the way through high school and into college, I knew the stuff and I knew the right answers and I read the Bible and I prayed, but I at the same time had multiple undealt with sin issues that were still there. I was often anxious about if people were going to find out. And I was also anxious about things that had nothing to do with my sin. I was just anxious about my self-worth. I had a lot of self-hate. I, I didn't know if people liked me, if I was worth much. And I didn't know how to break out of that. I was stuck in the same old sin pattern, stuck in these same negative thought lies about my life. And, and it leaves you sometimes, tell me if you know what I mean, it leaves you sometimes wondering, like, am I actually a Christian? Am I saved? You know what I'm talking I see heads nodding. You know what I'm talking about. Like, did I, did, have I done enough? Did I say the right words? You've probably felt like that. See, I was living in a house that had been completely renovated by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I had not let the interior design work of sanctification begin in my life. You see, we weren't just meant to have a renovated space. It was meant to be filled with life. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, actually describes it this way. He says, regeneration is like building a house and having the work done well. Sanctification is having the owner come and dwell in it and fill it with gladness and life and beauty. Many Christians are converted and stop there. Hear that? That's really important. You're, you're, you, you're converted. You are a Christian. You are, you are saved. Your sins are forgiven. Done. Many are converted, he says, and stop there. They do not go on to the fullness of their life in Christ and so are in danger of losing what they already possess. You see, Jesus did not simply enter into this world at Christmas so that we could be saved. Jesus came into this world so we could be sanctified. His desire for you and for me is that we be holy utterly sanctified. Now that means two things. First, it means that we are separated from sin. At the core of who we are, the old life has been completely removed. We're saved. We're saved from, remember we talked about sin means missing the mark. We are saved from a life of missing the mark. We no longer identify with that life. That's not our life. It's actually the kind of situation where it's not to say that there's not moments when we sin and we need to confess our sin and repent and turn around, but it's actually more of a, that's weird. That's not my nature anymore. I need to get back to what my nature is. See, it's strange then. You don't have to be ashamed of it or so, oh no, am I actually a Christian? No, it's just that the fundamental nature, because we're sanctified, is we're separated from sin. So when we do make those mistakes, it's, oh right, that's not me. I can confess that. I can bring this into the light. There's no shame. I can be forgiven again, and I can keep going forward. 
but we're not just separated from sin. This is so amazing, and this is huge for us this morning. We are also in sanctification dedicated to God. Our great calling in life is not simply to be emptied of sin. It is to become full of Christ. What you and I were born for is a life that isn't simply about avoiding sin. That's exhausting. You've probably done that. I've done that. It's tiring. You and I were born for what Simpson described as the fullness of the life of Christ. We aren't simply saved so that we can have a nice renovation of the heart and have this empty shell. You and I are invited into fullness of the sanctified life that Jesus offers. I love how the Apostle Paul describes being sanctified in Ephesians 3. He wrote this, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Just stop right there in verse 16 for a second. How many of you got saved and then you go, I feel like my resources spiritually are lacking. God, I don't have what I need. God, give me what I need. No, 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 that's, we gotta reread this. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That's all yours. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Or as another translation puts it, in order that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Fullness is experiencing the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. It's supposed to be our normal everyday life. Are you experiencing God's love? Now, I didn't ask you if you know God loves you. I asked, are you experiencing God's love for you? We, 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 we make the mistake, yes, God loves me. Yes, God loves me. I know God loves me. I know, I think he loves me. We go through the day trying to convince ourselves when it has already all been made available to us in the sanctified life of Jesus to experience fully that life of God's love. Some of us haven't experienced his love and we're still chasing affirmation. That's how sin happens in our lives. Some of us are still looking for a sense of worth because we haven't experienced the love of God and we're chasing it everywhere. Even some of us chase it in the church. Maybe this person will like me, this leader will like me, this pastor will like me. Maybe they'll think highly of me. They'll think I'm spiritual. Maybe other people in the church will think that I'm very mature as a, as a Christian. Like, honestly, that doesn't matter. Have you experienced the love, the 
fullness of Christ in your life. I think our church, and I don't mean our church, I just mean the church in general, sometimes our church probably too. We, we often are doing the, the church thing like it's an HGTV renovation show. And we get in, we get all excited, we get baptized, we hand people the thing of get in this group, do this thing, go on to the next thing, great, now serve. Like anyone that's been in like an evangelical church, it's connect, grow, serve is kind of like what they say to do in every single church, right? But the problem with that model, if you will, and like way that we've kind of been programmed to think about following Jesus is we connect, great, we, we become Christians, we get baptized, the heart gets renovated, and then we're thrown into service living out of an empty shell. And we've got nothing to offer the world. The deep, sanctifying love, the fullness of Christ is supposed to be what transforms everything. We're still struggling with the same sin issues and the same problems as we go through the things the church says to do. And we're embarrassed and we're overwhelmed and we're ashamed. Like, how am I going to do all these things they're asking me to do? We don't know what to do. We don't know how to get victory. So like I said last week, we either hide our sin or we just give up. This isn't a call to fullness that the church has been propagating for years. It's a call to sin management. Sin management's a counterfeit version of Christianity. That's what the Pharisees did. Simpson points this out. He says there are counterfeit forms of the Christian life, also defective forms, which do not represent all that the fullness of Christ is able to do for us. Often our Christian experience does not look much different than those around us who do not claim to be Christians. So just be honest for a minute, please, okay? No pretense. Do you feel the lack in your life? Hey, maybe you're like, I think I'm living in fullness right now. Praise God. That's good. But, but for those of you who are like, you've been saved and you're kind of like, did I just move my old furniture back into this space? you're like, there's got to be more. There's more. Are, are you ready? Do you want something more? Do you, do you want to start living in fullness instead of being spiritually bankrupt? You want to live and be like, you know what they actually do on HGTV sometimes is if you have the money, <laughs> you can actually buy everything they stage in your home. Let me tell you something. When you are sanctified by Christ, you're, you're not drawing from your own account. You're drawing from the Father's account, and you've got plenty of money to buy the furniture. You see, the issue that we're feeling in our lack right now in, in our churches, that we don't have anything to draw from to love people radically and serve the world, it's not a salvation issue. Hear me, it's a sanctification issue. And so not only has Jesus come into this world as a little baby to save us from our sin, but he has come to sanctify us, to give us the fullness of life that we were always intended to live with.
So this morning, I just want to briefly walk through a few passages of Scripture to help us understand three principles of sanctification. So we can receive Jesus as our sanctifier. So we're going to kind of journey through the Old and New Testament just briefly here. But uh, we're, we're going to read a couple of the readings, actually, that we, we read along with the Advent candle lighting this morning. So first, Genesis 3, 6 to 7. We're going to look at our first principle here. And it's simply this, principle number one. We cannot sanctify ourselves. This is like using your own furniture in the renovation. It just doesn't work anymore in that new space. It just doesn't work. Genesis 3, 6 to 7 says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, she, delicious and she wanted uh, the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Notice just a few things here briefly. Adam and Eve, I mentioned this last week, Adam and Eve had been given the task by God of two things, multiplying and, and subduing or ruling over the earth. Now that task, what's implied there is that this task was going to take a tremendous amount of wisdom. They just popped on the scene. They don't know how to do that. How are we gonna do this? God's given us this massive command. What are we gonna do? The woman and the man tried to get their own wisdom from a, a source that they judged to be good. See, she was convinced this is going to solve our problem instead of relying on God's wisdom. They also made judgments on their own terms instead of on God's terms. They decided they were going to decide what was best in terms of how they were going to follow God. This is going, you see how they rationalized and justified this. This is going to help us do what God wants us to do. And, and notice what else they did. They created additional rules to try and manage keeping away from disobedience. What am I talking about? In, in, uh, in verse 3, or, uh, excuse me, in verse 4. Eve says, no, 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 we can eat the trees in the garden. And then she quotes God, right? She says, God said, we can't eat of this tree or touch it. And if you do, you'll die. But guess what? That's not what God said. If you read a little bit earlier, God said, don't eat of the tree. He didn't say anything about touching it. Now, why does that matter? See, here's what happens sometimes when we're trying to sanctify ourselves is we say, okay, that's the line. That's the thing that's wrong. That's the behavior I have to stay away from. So to make sure I stay away from it, I'm actually gonna stand over here and make a new line. Are you with me? 
So now who's judging what's wise here, me or God? You see, a lot of times what happens with, with sin management, we're trying to sanctify ourselves. Is like, okay, I need to stay away from this and from this and from this and from this. So we get really religious and we create a whole nother set of rules to keep us far away from that. And then maybe sometimes another set of rules. I don't have the exact numbers. I didn't look it up for this message, but uh, the original Old Testament laws, there's, there's you know, maybe several maybe a hundred or something, something like that. I can't remember the exact, maybe a couple hundred. And the Pharisees like quadrupled that number. Say, okay, so we can't do this. So that means this, 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 and stay away from this just to be sure. Let's do this. You, you see, we all go to like, well, they ate the fruit. They disobeyed God. Man, their disobedience to God started way before that when they tried to sanctify themselves. Well, not only did God say, don't eat it. Actually, he said, don't touch it. And, and what we do is we create a bondage for ourselves as we try and purify ourselves by our own standards. Sanctification does not work like that. You cannot sanctify yourselves. You cannot have moral high ground or, or go for self-perfection. Just a few things, what sanctification is not here. Morality or self-perfection. It's not behavior modification. Just like, okay, I just have to check the list off, this, this, and that. Sanctification is not a state of emotions. Like, I feel like I'm not going to sin. I, I feel euphoric or whatever it is. This is the moment of feeling God's love, and so everything's fine now. It's not a state of feeling or emotion. It's not your own work or strength. I'm just going to stay in these tight parameters, and then I'll be okay. This is what a, a nerdy pastor's kid does, i.e. me, when I was little. I was thinking, like, can I go a whole day without sinning? No, normal kids don't think about that. But that's what I did. Well, I'm going to try and do it. And, like, I was missing the point as a kid completely. See, I was trying to sanctify myself. So here's the principle again. You and I cannot sanctify ourselves. Second principle is this. We cannot sanctify ourselves. And, and throughout human history, you're reading through the Old Testament, person after person after person couldn't sanctify themselves. But then suddenly there's talk of someone who could sanctify themselves. Who, who could do the things of sanctification that everyone just kept messing up in the story. And it leads to this, the principle, second principle is this, Jesus lived a sanctified life. Jesus knew how to follow the master's design. Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, we read part of this this morning. This is a prophetic writing that was fulfilled by Jesus. It says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And listen to this, especially contrasted with Adam and Eve's, right, pursuit here. It says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will, Jesus, he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. Notice this about Jesus. He was not interested in drawing upon his own wisdom. He accessed wisdom through the Holy Spirit given to him by the Father. 
He did not make judgments based off his own ideas or as it says, hearsay. Like, this looks like a good idea. I'm going to go with it. You know, some of us just go with our gut reactions. I'm kind of intuitive, so I, I sometimes will just be like, that sounds good. We'll do that. Or God gives me a, this is what I want you to do. And then I don't ask him how to do it. I just, oh, okay, great. I'm going to go do it my way, like Frank Sinatra. But Jesus models for us the sanctified life where every human in history up until this point and after had gone, I think I can do this. Just like Frank going, I did it my way. People searching, whether they're Christians or not, whether they were trying to follow after God or not, had some idea of this sanctification concept. Philosophy and and different religions and even secular society, we have this idea of what's the best life? What's the good life? What's good for me? Living for the weekend. What's good for me? Making more money. What's good for me? Just being happy. And we try to sanctify ourselves by these things. And more, those of us who are more comfortable being rule followers end up in churches. And, and we're trying to sanctify ourselves through our performance in church. But Jesus is the only one who had the Spirit of God upon them in such a way that they delighted in obeying him with it. And that leads us to principle number three. Jesus becomes our sanctification. Jesus himself becomes our sanctification through all human history, as I mentioned. We tried to sanctify ourselves, rationalize our truth. We make laws based on our own judgments. There's culture wars and politics over what we deem is best for living. But there is only one man, Jesus Christ, who is sanctified. And it is through him and in him that we are sanctified. And it is not only that we get sanctification because of him. Hear the language that I use. Very, it's very important. He becomes our sanctification. Jesus wasn't living a sanctified life simply for himself. Look at John 17, 19. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, for their sake. Who's that? The disciples, the followers of Jesus. For their sake, I sanctify myself, he said, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Who was the truth? I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For their sake, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus was sanctified so that we could be sanctified through him and in him. This is the promise of scripture about Jesus, our sanctifier in Ezekiel 36, 27. This is amazing. It says that, that we will have this same spirit In us, that Isaiah talks about being upon Jesus. The same spirit, and then it says this in Ezekiel, 
that this spirit will give us a delight in following the commands and the will of God. Now, let me tell you this. Andrew has zero desire and zero delight in following and obeying the commands of God. But the indwelling life, the fullness of Christ living in me, oh man, it does nothing but want to please the Father. And and here's the thing is, Andrew, I'm gonna just be a little bit schizophrenic here for a second. Andrew and sanctified Andrew, the indwelling Christ in me, they cannot exist at the same time, my friends. One of you has to die. Jesus desires to become our sanctification, to dwell in us. But you gotta get out of the way. out of the way come on he didn't simply come to save you for eternity he he didn't just simply come so you'd be free from sin finally one day he he didn't just simply come with your uh, fire insurance if you've heard that joke before your get out of hell free card I'm thankful that I am saved from the kingdom of darkness right there's great joy in that But he didn't just come for that. He wants you to experience eternity today. He wants you to experience freedom today. I'm not sure if you guys heard me. Hold on. You don't just need to experience. Well, one day when we get to heaven, this is going to be so much better. One day when there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's not what sanctification is. Sanctification is you get to experience eternity today. You get to live freedom and victoriously the life of Christ in all his fullness now. Not someday. He wants you to know and experience the love and fullness of God now, today. Not someday. As sure as you know you are saved, if I can use that word for eternity. As sure as you know that your eternal life is paid for, that you're forgiven, that your sins have been washed away. As sure as you know Jesus is your Savior. He wants you to know he is your sanctifier. So I want to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Are you saved and sanctified? Or are you saved and stuck? I've been stuck. There are seasons when we get stuck again. Let me tell you, this life of sanctification is, is an ongoing work. Yes, absolutely. The fullness of everything now, and it's increasing. It's just like salvation. We were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Sanctification, we've been sanctified, we're being sanctified, we will be sanctified. But the thing here is, is a lot of times we're living off of way less than we're supposed to be. 
the sin that you're still struggling with, the hiddenness you have, man, you don't have to be languishing in that. You don't need to be stuck. You can get victory over it. You can get victory over your self-hate. You can get victory over your anxiety. You can get victory over that, that worry that you have. You can get victory over it. I don't want you to be joyless. You hear me? I, I don't want you to be joyless. I, I don't want you to live loveless. I don't want you to be spiritually bankrupt, church family. Who wants that? Your father's got the bank account open. He, he's, he's already connected the accounts. You're just sitting there not making the funds transfer. So what, what are you waiting for? Don't just receive Jesus as your Savior today. Receive him as your sanctifier. Let me close with this story. There's a story recently out of um, Florida. It's always a bad start to a story, I feel like. Never mind, I'm going to get off track if I go down the Florida man trail. Uh, for those who know what I'm talking about. Uh, at Florida recently, there's a 20-something-year-old man. Maybe you heard this story. And he moved into an abandoned $2.5 million mansion. Sight unseen, just moved in. And he, he was doing so because there's an obscure legal precedent that exists in every state called adverse possession. More commonly, it's known as squatter's rights. Okay? And this is happening actually more and more all over the country. People are moving into abandoned properties and, and there's a certain amount of time and, and they're pulling together the paperwork and documenting their timeline because if they're there long enough, they own the home. They're going into empty homes to take up residence and own them. Now, now here's, here's my question back to what we were talking about with HGTV. Are, do you have a renovated home that's empty? Is it sitting empty? Someone wants to have squattered rights in your home. If you aren't giving Jesus access to sanctify your life, by default, you are giving access to someone else. There, there's no like, the secular world kind of has this lie of like, well, if I'm not like, actively doing something, then I'm just, I'm just kind of passive. I'm, I'm in this neutral state. That does not exist. That's just not real. It's not real. And, and I say that not to like, there's no, no one needs to be scared about that. I, I want your eyes to be open to, to the fact that if we have invited Jesus in to renovate our heart, there is also supposed to be life and fullness in the home of your soul through inviting Jesus to live and indwell in you and become your sanctifier. But you have to invite him. You have to say yes. You have to say sanctify me. You have to say I want your wisdom, not my wisdom. I have to, you have to say I want your judgments, not my judgments. I want the Father's experience of love, not my fabricated version of it. Is your home empty or is it filled? If he becomes your life, if he becomes your source, if he's your sanctifier, then he as the owner of the house will fill you to the fullness.
It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at plantchurch.com.